You know, the Japanese um, have many arts uh, in their culture, but one that is fairly distinct to their culture is the art of cultivating uh, and raising bonsai trees. Maybe you've seen a bonsai tree before. It's a tree that can be four, five, six hundred years old and yet still fit in a pot on a counter or a side table. And uh, if you've ever seen them or seen, I had the opportunity to go to a museum that had an exhibit of bonsai trees, and at first I was thinking, oh, great, bunch of trees. That'll be swell. And as I walked through it, I was just really awestruck at the beauty of the trees and how a skilled bonsai uh, tree raiser, I don't know what the right term is, can, can raise a bonsai tree and have a perfect uh, symmetry, or sometimes it's the asymmetry of the tree that becomes the art, and, and seeing them in a variety of different settings and different styles of tree and everything was just really um, something I, I was awakened to the beauty of, of the trees. And uh, by contrast, in California, in Northern California in particular, there is a forest of sequoias that, uh, that are giant trees. And I don't know, have any of you been to the sequoias and seen some of them? I mean, hands going up. Uh, it's spectacular. You, you feel incredibly small standing next to the sequoias. And one in particular has been named General Sherman. It may be the largest um, of the sequoias. It's 272 feet tall. And so the picture doesn't do it justice at all because the wide-angle lens... It's 79 feet in circumference, so that means it would take the average person somewhere between 25 and 30 steps to walk around the General Sherman. And uh, if it were cut down, it would have enough lumber to build 35 five-bedroom homes. That's how big this tree is. And to put that in a little bit of perspective, if you've been downtown, you know that the CenturyLink Tower downtown is Sioux Falls' largest Building. In fact, it's the largest building in the state of South Dakota. It's 174 feet from the curb to the top. So General Sherman's another 100 feet beyond that. And uh, what's interesting to me is that at one time, both the bonsai tree and the General Sherman were the same size. When they were seeds, they each weighed about one three thousandth of an ounce. And the size difference at maturity is considerable, to say the least, isn't it? So something took place. The story behind that difference is a lesson for each and every one of us. You see, when the bonsai tree first stuck its head above the the soil, a skilled gardener took it out and tied off the taproot. And then took it out again a few months later as it started to mature and tied off a couple of the feeder roots so that it would intentionally stunt its growth. Now, the result is a miniature tree, beautiful, but very small. Now, the seed of the General Sherman, by contrast, fell into the rich and fertile soil of California. It was nourished by all kinds of minerals and all the composting leaves, and and it's its own ecosystem, essentially, with abundant rain and plenty of sunshine. And the result is a giant tree. Now, neither the General Sherman nor the bonsai tree had any choice in its destiny. But you and I do. You see, our lives can be as big and impactful and influential as we want them to be. 
We are not destined to one destiny or another. And that's a good thought to launch us as we continue our series, It's Time to Grow. We've been focusing on this idea of growing in our spiritual lives, growing individually as well as corporately as a family of families. A couple of weeks ago, we started this series off with the subject of discipleship because really it all starts with discipleship. And if you were not here two weeks ago when we talked about discipleship, it's one of those messages, and I don't say this every week, but it's one of those messages that I would strongly encourage you to either listen to on our podcast or go to our website. And uh, you can click on the media tab and you can uh, listen to the audio there. Or There's a, a link to our Facebook page on the media tab as well. If you go to videos, you can watch the whole service or you can watch just the message portion. But very important, uh, as we set the tone for this year, as we launch an emphasis on evangelism and discipleship and growing and uh, really impacting our community by being disciples who make disciples. And so we started with discipleship. We defined a disciple as one who adheres to Christ's teaching and lifestyle, with discipleship being the process of making and reproducing and becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. And we said discipleship is the one thing that changes everything. And God really wants to change everything in our lives. He doesn't want to just tinker with the peripheral elements. He wants to move in and take up residence and transform us into disciple makers for his kingdom. Then last week, we uh, had a little bit of a different week. If you were here, you know we had a combined service with our African congregation celebrating them moving forward, and we had Pastor Wes Smith, our district superintendent, here for us. And it wasn't really a departure from uh, the Time to Grow theme. We talked about growing in love and compassion and growing in hospitality and kindness. And he preached a powerful, powerful message, and it was a real treat for me to sit down with you and to learn from him him. And he brought things to light from the book of Job and the story of Job that I had never seen before as he talked about God loving us for no strategic value and how he calls us to love others with that same type of love. And I have to just bring a little confession uh, to you that as we were celebrating the African congregation, I was reminded of a time since I've been here when the relationship between our two churches was a little strained, and one of the options that I was honestly considering uh, very strongly was uh, departing or separating uh, from the African church. And I was just marveling at God's goodness and His graciousness because the path that my mind was on was not a path that reflected His heart. And he spared us from that. And in not just sparing us from, from doing that, he gave us a great celebration as they have taken the steps. And Pastor Keith uh, came in and really helped to, uh, to bring some structure and was uniquely qualified with the work that he does in Nepal and in India to help a, an ethnic congregation develop a leadership team and start a stewardship strategy and a membership strategy and uh, all of those things. And so Keith and Sandra are here this week. They weren't here last week, but everybody waved to Keith and Sandra, and, and he's blushing now, which is wonderful. But we didn't get to clap for Keith and, and uh, Sandra and the, the role that they played last week, but we want to today. And, and also, I was remiss and, and should have mentioned uh, Pastor Bob, um, and, and the time that he was here was a wonderful liaison in, in helping keep that relationship going, keep that church going, uh, and, and 
definitely would, we would celebrate uh, his role in all of that as well. And so today, we're back into the, the five biblical purposes. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that, that we see five biblical purposes. If you've read The Purpose Driven Life, uh, these are purposes for individual Christians and their purposes for churches. And they start with discipleship and then evangelism, which we'll talk today about evangelism, fellowship, worship, and ministry. So today we're talking about evangelism and uh, we're talking about growing further, growing faster, growing larger through evangelism, that you grow larger when you choose to evangelize, when you choose to share your faith, when you step out of your comfort zone and share your faith with somebody else, our lives grow larger and more influential. So we have an opportunity individually to grow larger through evangelism, and we have an opportunity as a church to grow larger through evangelism. In fact, evangelism is the main way that churches grow larger. And I was reviewing some studies that have been done on evangelism and found this to be really interesting. Uh, the first was that they estimate that about one in four people who do not currently attend church will accept an invitation from somebody they know to attend a church. So one in four people that you know that don't attend a church would accept an invitation from somebody they know. In fact, and I often say this, somebody you know may be secretly hoping that somebody they know will invite them to church, that they're not going to show up on their own. But if somebody made an invitation, they would, they would accept it. And then there was another study that said about one in three people that accept an invitation to church will come back again. So one in four will actually come, and one in three of those one in four would come back. So I did the math real quick, and I said, wow, so if everybody at Linwood would invite one person a month, 12 people a year, we could double in a year, that we could add a service, and we could fill that one up, and because people would keep evangelizing. You don't stop just because you start to grow. You keep adding, and keep adding, and keep growing, and it's all part of our mission to reach people for Christ. In fact, we can't reach people for Christ if we're not evangelizing. Evangelism is essential to us accomplishing our mission. And that would mean that as we grow, that, that people would be saved, that, that people would be baptized, that lives and families would be transformed because you invited somebody you knew to church. And I want to ask you right now, how many people did you invite to Linwood in the last week? How many? Sit with that for a minute if, if the answer makes you uncomfortable. Don't move beyond it. And I invited four because I knew I was preaching on evangelism and I didn't want to be standing in front of you and like, I didn't invite anybody to church either. I invited four. Three of them already had a church home. And that's not our target market. Okay, let's be real cognizant of that. Our target market is people that don't have a church home. And we'll see about her. She cut my hair. She did a good job. I invited her to church, gave her a little card. Hopefully she'll come. But I'll keep inviting and keep inviting and keep inviting. And I'll just let you in on a little secret. Every single one of you knows two, three, four hundred people that I don't know. And probably will never meet unless you invite them to come to Linwood. So please do, because I want to meet your friends. And I want to meet them here. I want you to invite your friends to come to Linwood and to be a part of it. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 2 like, like we did a couple of weeks ago. 
And like we launched last week from Acts chapter 2, this powerful, powerful passage that comes at the end of of Peter's first sermon, the Holy Spirit fell upon the people on the day of Pentecost at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up, preaches a doozy of a sermon so good that about 3,000 people came to Christ. Um, so I've got a learning curve to catch up with Peter. Nobody, I've not had 3,000 people come to Christ at the end of one of my sermons. Um, but at the end of that sermon, we get this beautiful uh, statement, which is where we draw the five biblical purposes, that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, that they were filled with awe and signs and wonders were being done, that they were together, they sold their possessions, gave to each as they had need, and that they gathered in their homes and in the temple every day. And then in verse 47, we get this little summary statement that we were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. Now, I have a hunch. It's not right here explicitly in Scripture, but I have a hunch that the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved through the relationships that they had, through people going and telling what they had seen and heard, telling that they had seen the risen Savior, telling them the difference that Christ had made in their lives. And that as they went and told, and as they enjoyed the favor of the people, and as they gathered and praised him and, and praised his name, people were coming, and people were coming to faith. And the same thing can happen today as we go and tell people what we have seen and heard and the good news will spread. And so that process of people coming into the church, coming into the family of faith, coming into the kingdom of God, is the process that we often call evangelism. And evangelism is one of those big words that we use a lot in church, and we don't say it much outside of church. And it has sort of a uniquely Christian meaning, Christian context, so it's really important that we understand it if we're going to be using that term. So I want to make sure you understand the term evangelism, because we're going to talk about growing larger through evangelism. We better know what evangelism is. And so if you look at the word on the screen, you can see that tucked right in the middle of the word evangelism is the word angel. They have the same root. And so evangelism has something to do with angels. And it has a lot to do with angels, actually. Uh, An angel would be defined as a bearer of good news, a messenger, a missionary, or a sent one. One that has been sent with a purpose. And that's really important because that's all wrapped up in evangelism. you have this idea of angels in the Old Testament, and, and angels are almost always messengers of God to a specific person or to specific people. They come bringing news. They come bringing information. They come with instruction. They come to block the way or to open the way for God's people to do God's will. And then in the New Testament, right at the beginning, and the, sort of the bookends of the New Testament, the very beginning, there's all kinds of angelic activity, isn't there? We just came out of Christmas, and Mary's visited by an angel, and Zechariah's visited by an angel, and Joseph is visited by an angel to pave the way for Christ to come. And then the night of Christ's birth, there's a heavenly host, and there's angels all over the place, and they're, they're speaking to the shepherds out in the fields, right? And they tell them to go, and to see, and to worship, and they go, and they see, and they worship. They do exactly what they were told. And then the shepherds actually become the first evangelists in the New Testament. Did you know that? They become the first evangelists because they see the Christ, and they say, we have to go tell everybody. And that's where we get our song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, because they went, and they told everybody what God had done. They were the witnesses. They went and told what they had seen. 
and heard. And then at the end of the Gospels, right at the end of each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there is a great commissioning. And essentially every follower of Christ is commissioned to be an evangelist, to become angels, to become bearers of good news, to become sent ones, to become missionaries, and to become those who had been sent out on behalf of Christ. Chief among them would be the Apostle Paul, his traveling companions like Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, and Barnabas, and John, and Mark, and, and all of these different people that were evangelists, that were commissioned to go and spread the good news. And there is a church here in Sioux Falls called Linwood Wesleyan Church today because they were good evangelists. And the church made it out of the first century because people shared what they had seen and heard. And so that gives you just a little insight into evangelism to, to, on the big biblical scale, but to bring it close to home, somebody was an evangelist to you. Maybe it was your mom or dad or your grandma or grandpa, or maybe it was a coworker or a friend or a neighbor, but somebody shared the good news with you. Somebody was an evangelist in your life. And God calls each and every one of us to be evangelists in the lives of others. It's commanded. It's not optional. And too often, we make it optional. And we say, well, some people have the gift of evangelism. I'll leave evangelism to them, right? Paul talks about spiritual gifts, and the gift of being an evangelist is one of those. And if I don't have that spiritual gift, then I'm off the hook. And no, because Jesus commanded each and every one of us to be evangelists. And Paul constructs each and every one of us who are believers in Christ to be evangelists. So I can say very clearly, some have the gift. Everyone has the duty. Some have the gift of evangelism. But everyone has the duty to evangelize. Some have a spiritual gift and they have an ability, and we'll talk about them a little bit later on. But every single one of us has the duty to share what we have seen and heard, to share the difference that Christ has made in our lives. And we make this bigger than it is. It's as simple as saying, this is what my life was like before Christ. This is how Christ came into my life. And this is what my life is like now, thanks to Christ coming into my life. You've just shared your faith. You have just told people what you have seen and heard. You have just pointed people to Jesus. And there's an Old Testament story that, that captures this so very well. And uh, I want you to turn back into the crisp pages of your Bible. Um, if you have one of our blue hardcover Bibles, this is on page 581. It's the book of Second Kings, Second Kings chapter 7. I call them the crisp pages because we might read them in a Bible in a year program, but we don't necessarily end up there all the time on our own. And uh, Second Kings chapter 7, verses 3 through 9, tell us a story. And to set up a little bit of the context for that story, uh, there is a siege that has taken place around Jerusalem. The Aramean army has come in. They have shut off or, or closed off all ways into the city and all ways out of the city. And they are going to literally starve the people of Jerusalem uh, into submission. And to make matters worse, there was a famine that preceded it and is going on at the same time. And the situation's pretty dire. And if you read some accounts in the Bible about what happens during sieges, it's not good. It's not good at all. It is absolutely horrible. And that's the situation that the people of Jerusalem are in when we pick up the story here in verse 3 of chapter 7. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, 
Why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we'll die. And if we stay here, we'll die. (laughs) So it doesn't sound real helpful, does it? So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. So they had three options. One was certain death. The other was certain death. And the third one was probably death, but maybe a glimmer of hope for life. So at dusk, they got up and they went to the camp of the Arameans. And when they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army, so that they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. They left the camp camp as it was and ran for their lives. So the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. Then they returned, entered another tent, and took some things from it and hid them also. They've just hit the lottery, essentially. Verse 9 is really important. Then they said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. And I love this story because it illustrates the moral component of evangelism. That there is a moral component of evangelism. We have a moral obligation. You see, there are certain parallels in what has been done for us and what was done for them that they stumbled into. They didn't do anything to earn their great blessing, the, the lottery that they won. They didn't do anything to earn it, just like we don't do anything to earn our salvation and our forgiveness. It's the free gift of God. It is grace. It is his unmerited favor that is extended to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And if they had kept that to themselves, it would have been morally wrong to let the people in Jerusalem starve to death and die. This was a day of good news for all the people, not just for themselves. And the same is true for what has been done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. It's good news for all people, not just for us, not just for the people in our family or the people in our church, but for all the people, all the people that aren't in a church this morning. It's good news for them too. And verse 9 is so profound as they recognize we're not doing the right thing. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. And that's essentially what happens when we don't evangelize, when we don't share our faith with the people that God has entrusted to us, with the relationships that he has given us. We're not doing the right thing. There's a moral obligation to all of this, such that I wrote in my journal, not sharing good news is not right. Not sharing good news is is not right. When you have good news for somebody and you withhold that from them, that's not right. Speaking of journals, uh, a couple of weeks ago we kicked off the, uh, the Banding Together journals. Many of you picked those up. That's wonderful. I've been praying for you every single day. I hope you're reading your Bible every single day, jotting down a few thoughts. When you miss a day, don't beat yourself up, okay? It's going to happen. You can catch up if you want to, but don't feel like you have to catch up. And if Satan, if you miss two or three days in a row and say, see, you're not going to make it, you just might as well throw in the towel and forget about it. Just pop him off your shoulder, pick up your Bible wherever you are, and start again. 
Okay, there's a card on your seat uh, last weekend. There's another one on there today. This just explains the journal in case there's anything that's not crystal clear about it. But we really love to see every single person at Linwood be reading the same scriptures and thinking through them individually or corporately. We have an opportunity with a Facebook group. If you're on Facebook, you like Linwood Church, you can join the Facebook group, see what other people are seeing, read their thoughts, ask questions have prayer requests, whatever the case may be. That's totally optional. That's not an obligation by any means. But the idea is that you read a passage of Scripture, and then you write down a verse or two that stick out to you, make some observations about that, ask God to show you how it applies to your life, and then write out a little prayer. I was so blessed on uh, the 14th, so that would have been, I think, Tuesday morning, that somebody in the group shared that this passage that we read today reminds me of a bottom line from a sermon a couple of years ago that empty seats and spirit-filled churches break God's heart. And I smiled so big and wide because that was my first sermon at Linwood as your senior pastor. And some of you might remember that if you were here. We had a big table set over here as a banquet table. And we told the story from Luke 14 of God preparing this great banquet, essentially, and sending out all these invitations. And all the people that he had sent invitations to had these lame excuses for why they couldn't come. And so he tells his servant to go out and to find people that weren't even invited originally and bring them in. And they do. And they come back, and in verse 22 of Luke chapter 14, it's on the screen, so you don't have to necessarily dig it out in your Bible. It says, the servant returns and says, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. That's good news. There's still room. Look around you. There's still room. There's lots of room down here. There's a fair amount of room over there. There's plenty of room in these two sections. There's lots of room over there. There's still room at Linwood for your friends and your family and your co-workers to come in. And this is what the master says. Then the master told his servant, go, go again, be sent, be commissioned, go as a missionary, one with good news, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. And if you were here, you know that, that, that go make them, that, that it says in some translations, go compel them to come in. Go with all urgency, with not just because you have nothing better to do, but as a priority, go and fill the seat next to you. Okay, church should not be like a flight and coach where you rejoice at an empty seat next to you, right? When you fly coach and nobody sits down and they close that door and the seat next to you is open, you're like, praise the Lord. I don't have to talk to anybody if you're an introvert like me. I don't have to keep all my stuff, you know, in tight like this. I can put that tray down and put my stuff over there and have my space open. Church is not like that. Church is not flying coach. You don't want the seat next to you open in church. You don't want the seat in front of you open in church. You don't want the seat behind you open in church. Why? Because empty seats in spirit-filled churches break God's heart. Empty seats in this church break God's heart. And you know somebody that can sit in that seat next to you. You see, evangelism is not a program. It's a responsibility. It's not a program that the church needs to program and the staff needs to program. It's a responsibility for every single person. It's a responsibility of the person sitting in your seat to fill the seat next to you and not with your wife, not with your husband. Fill the seat next to each of you with somebody who does not know, somebody who is far from God and will spend eternity far from God if somebody they don't doesn't invite them to church. 
And as wonderful as church programs are, one of the downsides to a church program, if we did have an evangelism team at Linwood, people would say, oh, that's the job of the evangelism team. We'll let them do it. Kind of like we have a prayer ministry and we have a prayer team and we have prayer meetings available uh, every week and we advertise those on the screen every single week and 90% of the people that come to the prayer ministry or to the prayer team meetings or the prayer meetings are people from the prayer team. Because everybody else says, well, that's for the prayer team. No, it's for everybody. Everybody was supposed to pray. Everybody is invited to gather and to pray. We have a missions team. And if we're not careful, only the people on the missions team go out and do any missions work because we have a program for that. No, these are things that we're supposed to do. These biblical purposes are for everybody. They're not for the people on that team. And evangelism is for everybody. It's for you because you're the conduit to the community. You are Linwood's conduit to the two or 300 people you know that none of the rest of us do. It's not our website. It's not our Facebook page. It's you. It's the people you know. It's the people you work with, the people that you have a relationship with. And we hope and pray that that relationship is positive enough and that they've seen enough of you that when you invite them to church, they say, you know, there's something different about that person. I'd like to have it. Maybe it's the church they go to. Maybe it's the relationship they have with Christ. Maybe that's the difference maker. And they accept the invitation and they come. And so I want to encourage you, again, to invite, to invite, to invite. As you sit out in that and you look across the sanctuary, it looks pretty full, doesn't it? Because you see somebody in every row. When you stand up here and you look at it from this direction, there are a lot of pockets that nobody is sitting. We need to fill those pockets. We need to fill those pockets. We need your help. We need you to build relationships. We need you to invest in those relationships. We need you to invite people and invite them again. Just because they say no once doesn't mean you can't invite them again. Maybe they want to see how serious you are. Maybe they're like, if he invites me again, I'll go. But I want to find out if he's serious enough to invite me again. You can pick him up and bring him. Did you know that? You could show up at their door. Say, I'll be there. 8.30. We'll come to Sunday school. I'll be there at 10 o'clock. I'll bring you. Kidnap him if you have to. Well, no. <laughs> Don't kidnap him. But you can bribe him. You could make a $15 investment in the kingdom of God and say, come to church with me. I'll buy you lunch. And watch what happens. Raise your hand if you've ever been slugged in the face for inviting somebody to church. Nate? Sorry, man. (laughs) Keep going. When I find people that have been invited to Linwood, and I ask them who invited you, they're happy when they tell me. Oh, it was so-and-so. And And I worked with her. Oh, it was so-and-so. We met on this, or we met on that. And they're happy. They're not mad. And I'll say, doggone it, they invited me to church. Wouldn't stop inviting me. Picked me up and brought me, bought me lunch. That's never the story that I hear. They say, I'm so glad I came. I was greeted warmly several times. People look me in the eye. Nobody's looked me in the eye all week. People tell me that. When you invite them to church, when you invite them. Here's our bottom line today. I promised I wouldn't go as long as we went the last two weeks, and I won't. We're wrapping this thing up, okay? The bottom line today found people, find people. Found people, find people. That's a good bottom line, isn't it? I wish I could take the credit for that. I heard that from another pastor down in South Carolina. But it's true. If you have been found, if grace has found you and exploded in your heart and you really get the gospel and you really understand what you have been saved from, 
an eternity separated from God where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, where it is dark and hot, and you're surrounded by people who are in anguish. That's what we've been saved from. And you understand what you've been saved to. Life in the kingdom here and now, an eternity in the presence of God, praising him with joy unspeakable and full of glory. When we understand what we've been saved to and what we've been, or sorry, what we've been saved from, what we've been saved to, we've got to share it. It's not right to keep it to ourselves. It's not right to not share it. And I really want you and your life to grow larger and more impactful and more influential through your personal evangelism. And I want Linwood to grow larger and more impactful and more influential in this community through our corporate evangelism. And so I want to ask you, what's your next step in evangelism? What's your next step? Is it to invite one person to church? Would that be a big step forward for you? Or do you invite people on a pretty regular basis and and your next step might be to create a formal program in your mind for yourself of follow-up and strategic engagement as you invest in inviting people to bring them into the kingdom of God. What's your next step? Remember the bonsai trees, General Sherman? As I was preparing for this message, a couple of General Shermans in our congregation came to mind. And I'm going to say their names because they probably wouldn't want me to, and I would distract from somebody that maybe you were thinking of that I didn't think of, and we don't need to go down that road. But we can all think of General Shermans, can't we? We can all think of the Billy Grahams, right? There's some General Shermans in this congregation, and the two in particular that I'm thinking of probably invite more people to Linwood than any two that I'm aware of. And I know for a fact that people have been saved. They have experienced salvation because of these two General Shermans. I know for a fact that people have been baptized in that tank since I got here because of these General Shermans. I know for a fact that we have people who are members of this church today because of those two General Shermans. And they're in ministry because somebody cared enough to invite them and invite them again and invite them again. Have you been found? Has grace found you? Found people, find people. We are not to be cisterns that all the grace and all the love of God flows into. We are to be channels that it flows into us and out through us and that there are people that we come in contact with that are found because of us. Who will be in heaven because of you? How many? How many could be? How many people do you know? Divide it by four. That's how many people would come. Divide that number by three. That's how many people might become a part of this congregation who might get saved, who might have their lives transformed, who might be baptized, who might then go out and start investing in their relationships, people you don't know, and inviting them to become a part. And it goes on, and it goes on. Don't make it bigger than it is. You don't have to memorize the Romans road. You don't have to be able to preach a five-point sermon to invite somebody to church. Just invest in a relationship. Invite somebody. Invite somebody again. Encourage them. Live a life that they would want for themselves. And then compel them to come where the gospel is preached. Because one of my greatest desires is that Linwood Church would be the perfect place for imperfect people, those who are far from God, to come near and to grow into fully devoted followers of Christ. And it's happening. And people are growing. And people are getting involved in ministry. And people are, are sharing their faith. 
and we can all grow larger through evangelism. So as we close this morning, I want to encourage you to pray that God would put one person's name in your mind and that you would make that invitation this week. Make that commitment. At least one. If he gives you two, make two. If he gives you three, make three. If you really want to get bold, come down to an altar and pray specifically for that person to be fertile soil for the seed that you're going to sow into their lives this week. You come to this altar, you can pray alone. You go to the outside altars, somebody will come put a hand on your shoulder. You could say the name. We'll pray together for that person to receive the invitation. You could write their name on a little slip and roll it up and put it on the cross. The cross is filling in. As soon as it gets full, we'll take most of them down and we'll start over and we will keep filling that cross up with the names of those who are lost, with people who need God to Move in their life in a powerful way. But whatever God lays on your heart, just respond in faith to it. That's the only request that we make of you here. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the invitation that you give to each and every one of us to live lives of impact and influence. And there is no greater impact that we can make on another person's life than to point them to you. I thank you for the thousands and thousands of people that the people in this room know that I will never meet. But you know them. And we pray right now that you would lay on each person's heart, at least one, that we would make the invitation, that we would invest in that relationship, that we would invite and invite again, that we would compel them to come because eternities are at stake. May we be a church of General Shermans when it comes to growing larger through evangelism. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.